Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message, titled Prayer Movement, was given by Larry Vold and was the fifth in our series, Transformational Church, Churches That Produce Transformed People. Let's find our way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now, we've been looking at transformational churches We've been considering this book, 1 Thessalonians, as a template for finding some clues as to what transformation, transformational churches look like, how they operate. We've said already in this series that transformational churches have members whose faith in Jesus Christ is, are, is real and genuine. We've said that transformational churches have leaders whose lives are worthy of imitation. They live lives worthy of imitation. We've said that transformational churches love the Word of God. They're passionate for the Word of God. And last week we saw that transformational churches know how to care for each other. Today we're going to look at how transformational churches pray. We're going to talk about prayer today. We're going to look at what prayer looks like and how transformational churches have members who pray as they should. And we're going to see this really from an observational standpoint today. This is not really a teaching passage on prayer. However, we're going to observe some things about prayer that I think will be insightful and encouraging and compel us to go out of here with a little better understanding about prayer in our lives today. So um, let's, let's look at the text first. And if you have strength to do so, I know you're all comfortable there. Stand with me, would you? We're going to look at verses, chapter 3, verses 10 through the end of the chapter, verse 13. And let's just follow along. Paul writes, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. And may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Lord, help us to understand not only what it means to pray as we should, but to see you, Jesus, as our Savior and our Lord this morning. And Lord, if there's anyone in this service today that needs to know you personally, open their eyes to see you, Lord. And if there's any of us that have wandered from our faith, wandered from what we know is true, Lord, then by your Holy Spirit, would you bring us back this morning to where we need to be with you? And thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us and reminding us of all the things that our Lord Jesus has taught us. And so now, even now, we pray, your Holy Spirit, to use this text to, to change our lives to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay. This is going to go quick. It's real simple this morning. Three things about the way we should pray that I see in this text. The first thing I would point out is that our prayers, when we pray, our prayers should be passionate. Would you say that with me? They should be passionate. Now, I see that in the opening line of verse 10, just the first few words, where Paul writes, night and day we pray most earnestly. As I sat there and looked at that passage, I got arrested in my heart of what Paul's saying there. Night and day, we pray most earnestly. What are the things, here's a great place to start right now, what are the things in your life 
that are driving you to pray night and day most earnestly for? (laughs) We've all got those things in our lives, don't we? Night and day. You just think about it all the time. It comes off your lips all the time. It's on your heart all the time. It's on your mind all the time. When you come into church, you're thinking about it this morning, and now you've got more things to think about, but things that continually rise to the surface of your life. Paul is not talking about, and nor am I suggesting here, that our prayers should be hyper-emotionalistic, or if that's even a word, that we should be filled with hyper-emotionalism when we pray. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about passion or what I observe in this passage. I see a very deliberateness to passion here that I want to point out. And if you're taking notes, you'd write this down. Being passionate in prayer means that we pray frequently. We pray frequently. That there is an absolute sense of Uh, of consistency in our prayers, that prayer isn't something that just happens once a week when we come to church, but that prayer is is like a breathing exercise for us, that there's something very frequent about the nature of prayer. And that's what I see here when Paul says night and day. Paul wasn't saying that he prayed only in the morning and then later in the evening. He wasn't on a ritualistic schedule of prayer. Some people are very religious in their prayers and they pray at certain times of the day. And I'm not necessarily knocking that, but I'm just saying that that's not what Paul's saying here. We just get the window into Paul recognizing that something that is a burden of his heart would demand his constant attention. There should be a uh, a repeating of this desire to meet with God and talk to God about whatever it is. I love Psalm 5.3. It's not in your notes. It's not on the screen. But it came to me as I was looking at this. In the morning, O Lord, David writes, you hear my voice. In the morning, I make my request before you and wait in expectation. That's Psalm 5.3. It's a beautiful psalm. David said, as soon as I get up, I want to be on my face before God. I want to be talking to God. I want, to be, I want my first thoughts and my first you know, cognition of the day to be upward to God. Is that the way it is for you? Or is it you know, stumbling to just try to get to the coffee machine so that you can kind of wake up in your day, is the first thought of getting out of bed in the morning saying, Lord, I need you in my life today. Here are the issues that I need you to come through in today. Here's the things I need to align with you today, that I focus my heart and focus my life in a regular basis. I like how the psalmist says in Psalm 92, 1 and 2, he said, it's good to praise the Lord in the morning and make music to the name of the Lord. To proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. There seems to be a rhythm in the attitude and the life of a worshiper that says, I start my day with God, I go through my day with God, I end my day with God. My first breath in the morning is a praise to the Lord, a request to the Lord. My last breath before turning out the lights and closing my eyes is, is a prayer to God. Is that really the way we live our lives? It's a challenge, isn't it? But you see, when we know God and we know his love for us, that's really the way we ought to be living our lives. And it's really not something that should be difficult. I've said this many times, and I'll say it again this morning, that one of the simplest things that ought to be happening in our lives when we meet together like this is looking for opportunities to pray with and for one another. And yet so many of us look at prayer as this mystical experience and if we don't say the right words, God's not going to hear us and gee, what if I flub in my prayer? What if I called someone right out of the crowd this morning and said, would you just pray? Some of us would die or have a heart attack 
if I just said that in, in a public setting. Now, I realize we'd be conscious of speaking in public, but what I'm saying is simply this. When we, when we have a relationship with God that he invites us into this intimacy with him, prayer should be the language of just speaking to God in the most comfortable and the most natural way, and it should happen very uh, very uh, repetitively in our lives. I don't mean that in a ritualistic sense, but just throughout our day, prayer ought to come. In fact, later in this book, look over at chapter 517. We'll see this in about five weeks from now where Paul says, be joyful always, pray continually. There should be the stream and the rhythm of prayer in our lives. And transformational churches know this. They know that without prayer, we're just sunk. We just don't have what we need unless we're talking to God and wrestling with God. Being passionate in prayer not only means to pray frequently, but write this down, passionate in prayer means to pray seriously. I see this in this little phrase where Paul says, we pray most earnestly. This is a picture of intention. It's a picture of, of, uh, of focus that Paul's talking about here. Passion means frequent. It also means being serious. And again, not excessive emotionalism here. It's, an, it's a quality of seriousness with which we come to God in prayer. Let's all admit, and I'll say right up from the front, a lot of times my prayers are motivated by what people hear me say. I can remember times, just conf- let's just, I'm just going to do some confession this morning, okay? that all right? that okay? Yeah, you like to see me confess, don't you? You know I'm a sinner just like you, right? Okay, so, so sometimes when our kids have gotten out of control, I remember times where I said, we got to pray. And I would pray a prayer like this, Lord, help all of our attitudes to be right right now and to obey our parents, you know, that kind of thing. You know, who, I'm not talking to God. In that moment, I'm talking to my kids. And my kids would call me out on that. I say, Dad, who are you talking to? (laughs) Sometimes we pray just so that someone will hear us. And we're not really thinking about God. That's that's a prayer of of a wrong motivation. As a pastor, sometimes the pastors, we pray things. uh, We want to do announcement prayers, you know. Lord, bless the men's barbecue this Saturday between 9 and 4 (laughs) p.m. Where everyone's to invite a friend at only $10 each. I mean, that kind of thing. And I've prayed prayers like that. And people listen to pastors pray like that. And they go, I get it. He's just trying to get us to sign up for this thing, see. And they're really not talking to God. Prayer is to be frequent, but it's to be serious. It means I close everything out. And that's why, by the way, we do need that closet time prayer. It's not that we always have to go into the closet to pray like Jesus talked about, but we certainly don't stand out on the street corner to be noticed in our prayer. That's that's what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, where people would ostentatiously say, oh my Lord. It's interesting how our language changes in prayer too. I remember as a kid growing up, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, then went over to a Baptist church, and I remember as a little kid hearing the Presbyterian pastors priests or whoever they were, the, the, the people that were the cloth, and they would get up and pray, and they would pray these huge, lofty, and their voice would change, and, and suddenly they would be speaking King James language, and then I would see them after service, they're just talking like you and me, I think, well, I don't get that. It's like a different language when we, when we talk to God. I'm not trying to necessarily poke fun, I think there should be a reverence when we come to God, but sometimes we, we sort of, we exude this ostentatious attitude as if our words would maybe somehow break through if we, if we use a little bit more hefty or lofty words. 
I've been to prayer meetings where people talk about stuff to pray for and never pray. And that, that's troublesome to me. It seems like if we should have a prayer meeting, we should get to the attitude and to the, to the issue of prayer quickly and foremost. Frankly, I'd rather pray about things and talk about things. And sometimes it's nice in a meeting just to say, hey, we've got lots to pray for today. Instead of going for a half hour about things we can pray for and then pray for 30 seconds, why don't we start with praying for a half hour and then just at the end with 30 seconds, thank everybody for coming or something like that. Prayer should be regular. It should be frequent. It should be serious. And it's interesting, when life is in crisis mode, uh, that's what that's what ought to come out most naturally. In fact, th- this accident that happened on Monday, it was, it was a terrible, terrible accident. And our whole staff, I mean, I just looked around. I came running out. I heard what was going on. And I'm standing out there as, as the emergency crew is, is around this gentleman trying to sustain him and give, give him life, help him. And I'm, I'm just in prayer, and I'm just thinking, God, why and what and but God your will and just Lord touch this man and one of our other pastors came out to see what was going on and he just ran up to me and just cried out Pastor Vance just let's pray yes let's pray we got down again and just prayed and we're praying and we're just asking God to do something phenomenal here in in that crisis moment if we're not praying on a regular basis you know what you get in crisis you get panic you get terror, you get all things other than an upward look to God and how we need to look to God in that hospital room where the doctor came in to tell Mrs. Brooks the terrible news that they could not sustain his life and how very quickly after he was there we were down on our knees sobbing and crying and and praying Asking God to show us now what it is. We were praying for sustaining life. Now we're praying, God, what now? What? All around our campus, people in pockets of groups of prayer and asking God to do a work. Crisis just sort of demonstrates to us or or reminds us what's really in our hearts when when we look to God. When we come into God's presence, are we focused on him? Are we thinking about the nature of our conversation or are we looking at the holiness of God? I, th- I like what the book of Ecclesiastes, we'll put it on the screen, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 and 2. And just read this out loud with me. This is a very good timely warning this morning to, to read where Solomon writes, follow along, read it with me. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Let your words be few. It's, it's a reminder to us that, that we are not to be flippant in coming into the presence of the Lord. We can come regularly and we should. We should come seriously, not flippantly. God is interested in everything we have to say. He wants to know our hearts, but we come to a holy God. It's a picture of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, where it says, in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. His train filled 
train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, and it describes this angelic host. And they were crying out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And as I read a passage like that, I think about how God invites us to come into his presence. And I think about the fact that God calls us, invites us to pray. Are we praying? And when we come into his presence, do we see in our minds this amazing, almighty God who is worthy of all of our praise and worship and is the king and glory of all? And he whispers to us and he says, what is it that is on your heart, my child? What is it that is on your heart? And we think in that frame of mind, we, we don't flippantly speak to God. We realize that God is in heaven and we are on earth, but yet he invites us to come. In the new covenant, I love how the book of Hebrews puts this in chapter four, verse 16. It says, therefore, since we have this high priest who has passed through the heavens, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Isn't that good? Are we looking to the Lord this morning? Are you bringing, are you, here's the question, are you worrying about stuff in your life or are you turning worry into worship by talking to the God who knows everything about your life? We pray for our kids, don't we, as parents? Pray for our kids. And we've got two, our, my, our oldest child and her husband now, they've been moving all over the United States since July. He's taken a job back in St. Louis. So they've been in St. Louis. They've been in Fort Collins. They've been in Denver. They went back to St. Louis. Now they're down in Jacksonville, Florida. And, and we haven't seen them really since, well, they've come, they came through at Christmas. But, you know, we do a lot of Skyping and all this. But everywhere they go, as parents, we're praying, oh, Lord, help them to find a church. Help them to find a place where they can connect with God's people, right? Parents, any parents with me here this morning? And we're praying for our kids this way because we know life is busy and they're transient. They're only in a town for a couple of weeks, sometimes a couple of months, and then they're off to a new thing. And Lord, help them to find connections. So last night we're talking to them on Skype and we're having a really nice conversation. And, and they say to us, Katie and Josh, they say to us, oh, by the way, so weird. Last week we went to church. They've only been in Jacksonville for a couple of weeks. First week they you know, went around to a couple churches. Last week, they went to another church because they just didn't really feel like it was the right place, the first places they went to. They go into this church, and they had a wonderful time. People were friendly. The message was strong. It was biblical. All the things that we taught were saying, thank you, Jesus, and they're there. And then all of a sudden, my daughter says, and I'm standing in the lobby, and walk up this, this woman walks up and says, Katie. And Katie's like, I'm sorry, I just, I can't place you. I don't know where I've seen you. And she says, well, when you were in Denver, you did our daughter's wedding. She took some pictures for, at her daughter's wedding. And I remember meeting you, and, and here we are. And then Katie remembered that her friend said, hey, if you go to Jacksonville, my aunt or my mother, no, I guess it was an aunt. My aunt has a church there. It would be a great place. She had forgotten that, but God hadn't forgotten that. So there they were. I thought to myself, only God can put that together. Standing in Jacksonville, Florida, in the lobby of a church, Katie. God hears our prayers. What are you praying for today? Oh, a lot more that we need to talk about there, but we need to move on. Because it's going to get better. Second thing about prayer is not only should be passionate, but write this down. Our prayers should move us to participate. Oh, this is so big. Our prayers should move us to participate. 
I see this in the latter part of verse 10. You see, we're only in verse 10. Night and day we pray most earnestly for you that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. He wants to see them so that in some way he can supply them. He wants to get to them so he can do something for them. This is the way prayer works. When we pray, we want to participate. Remember last week I said that connection leads to what? Caring. I had to say it for you. I really, I shouldn't have done that for you. Connection leads to caring. And watch this. Praying leads to participating. That's just the way it works, which tells me when there's big holes happening, like, for example, in ministry where there's big holes, you know what that tells me is? We're not praying enough for that stuff. Because if everybody was really praying for stuff, you know what God does? When you pray for something that's a burden in your life, you know what God does? He puts the burden on you to be involved. You don't believe me? Let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And we'll put it on the screen, but you can turn there. You should underline it. When Jesus was ministering to the crowds, he had compassion on them, and he's with his disciples, and this is what he says to his disciples. He says, verse 37 of Matthew 9, he says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers into the harvest. Now watch this. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What did Jesus want his disciples to do? Pray for more workers. Now I think this is very insightful. Jesus knew that if his disciples would pray the burden that he had for more workers, because he saw the crowds, he saw that the harvest was plentiful, but that the workers were few. If I get the workers to pray, you know what they'll do? They'll eventually see, hey, guess what? I'm the worker. I like what one translator says, translation of this passage says, where Jesus said the harvest is plentiful and the workers are you. That's how you should pray. So let's just talk about a few things here. You know right now in our children's ministry, we've got a huge need. I heard this past week that we, Pastor Ryan is saying we need 50 people right now to make that thing like an like a oil machine. 50 more workers. And so I'm calling out to you today. Here it is. All I want you to do, you don't have to sign up to work in there. Would you just commit daily to praying for that need? <laughs> daily. Because you know what's going to happen? There's going to be people that if you'll commit to praying for that need, some people are going to go, oh, okay, God, I get it. This is the answer to this prayer. I am the answer to my own prayer. <laughs> Isn't God cool with that? I mean, he just knows because here's the way he designed us. He designed us to partner with him in ministry. If you belong to him, he didn't save you so you could live your own life doing what you want to do. He saved you so that you would partner with him and say, God, what is it that you want done in this world? And so when there's a need, and I just point that out, there's tons of needs. But for example, if there was a need financially, if you were praying for the financial need, you know why this church is generous? Because we do a lot of praying for specific needs, not just here on this campus, but supporting pastors and leaders around the world, uh, church ministries around the world. We do a lot of things, praise God, and we say it humbly. This is not a pat on the back time. I'm just saying this is a generous church because we talk about and pray about a lot the needs of the gospel work around the world. When you think about people that need compassion, 
In fact, if you've got a problem with somebody, if you've got someone you're not getting along with, if you've got someone that you think doesn't deserve to be in church or with God's people, and some of us feel that way sometimes, here's the thing you need to do. You need to start praying for them daily. Because you know what God will do? He'll change your heart. Prayer precedes participation. And if you don't pray, you will not participate. You'll walk out of here, well, that's great, someone else will pray for that. Prayer, that's why I would say, say to some people, prayer is a dangerous thing. <laughs> it's dangerous. You sure? Be careful what you're praying about. Because when you really pray with your heart, when you see prayer the way Christ wants us to see it, and what I see right here modeled, this is a beautiful picture. Paul saying, I'm praying night and day, I'm praying earnestly. What? Why? So I can come to you and I can supply what you need in your faith. I'm praying for you so I can get there. That's beautiful. Which brings me to the last thing about prayer, and we'll dig a little deeper into these themes right now. Prayer should be passionate. Prayer should be participatory. Thirdly, our prayers should be productive. Write that down. Our prayers should be productive. Now, in verses 11 through 13, it's interesting. Just along with the model of the way Paul lived his life, all of a sudden Paul breaks into prayer. This is just natural. He's writing a letter but notice the language, it's prayer language. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come. He is, as he's writing this letter, he's now lifting up to God some things that are powerful. And what I see in this little section of these three verses, two or three verses, is I see the language of, of uh, productivity. And there's three things I want to point out in terms of productivity. Maybe they'll help rig these things to your own heart. Number one, our prayers should produce some kind of breakthrough. There's breakthrough needed here. And notice the, the language of breakthrough here. Clear the way for us to come to you. Remember back up in chapter 2, verse 18, we tried to come to you again and again, but Satan stopped us. Remember that? There's been a hindrance. There's been a blockage. And all of us this morning, in some areas of our lives, we feel blocked. We feel pressed. But you know what prayers do? Prayers in transformational churches and in lives who are being transformed produce breakthrough. Let me ask you a question. Where is breakthrough needed in your life today? Where? Just, just, you may want to write it down in your notes. Maybe it's a family issue. You need breakthrough in your family. You need breakthrough in a marriage. You need breakthrough with one of your kids. You need breakthrough in your finances. You need breakthrough with a job. You need breakthrough in health. You need breakthrough, breakthrough. God, I need you. I need to see that, God, you are God. Now, God is not a cosmic vending machine. We don't come to God and say, God, as long as I give you a prayer enough every day, I know this is gonna happen. That's not the way prayer works. Jesus said, ask anything in my name and it will be done. That in my name part is really important because God is inviting us to come and to ask him and to speak to him about the issues that are most concerning in his heart. That's where our prayers get answered. God is not saying, just come and I'll give you my, your wish list. And some people are teaching that and some people believe that about prayer. It's just if I have enough faith, I can get and do whatever I want to do. That's not what the true essence of prayer is. And coming up in a couple of months, we're going to dive deep into what prayer really is. We're going to do a series in prayer. I'm excited about it. haven't told anyone about it, but I've been praying about it. And God's been showing me. And, and that, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be spending seven weeks in the Lord's Prayer. 
And it's going to be beautiful. And it, because I've got a lot to learn about prayer. How about you? And one of the things that we need in prayer is we need breakthrough. And so I want you to identify where that area is. Where that area is. Where is the breakthrough needed in your life? You know, Paul, let's just talk about Paul for a second. He prayed that God would clear a way for him to come. How long from the writing of this letter did it take for Paul to get to the Thessalonian church? Do you know? It was five years. You say, wait a minute. I I like breakthrough, but not five years breakthrough. Well, that's the way breakthrough is sometimes. Breakthrough might be five years. It might be 10 years. It might be 25 years. I told the story a few years ago, my sister, it's a, I'll try to make it real brief, but I have a, an adopted sister, and she was adopted when she came into our home. She's a little bit older than me, which I like to remind her about, but she, she came into our home when she was about, I don't know, uh, just a little bit over, uh, under a year, and, and she was fully adopted into our family, I think, at about 16 or 18 months. So she, all her life, all she knew was my family. She never knew her family. All she knew that her mother... Uh, was she kind of found out later on that her mother was an unfit mother and could not take care of her and gave her up to a foster care system and then eventually she ended up at our parents. My parents were foster care parents, but they fell in love with my sister Nancy, which I understand why. She's adorable. I love her too. And they, they kept her. They adopted her. But the story goes, and, and maybe you remember this story, when my parents had both passed on, my dad died um, about six years ago, uh, after my father had died, my mother had died before that, I kind of put the fire back in my sister to find out about her earthly family. And so she did some investigating and she really kind of got after it. And she did find out really a lot more about her family. She found out her mom, as, as she already knew, there was problems there, but she was really an unfit mom. She was sort of an itinerant uh, mom, just involved in all kinds of problems. Um, ended up dying a very young death. Her father was an alcoholic, uh, just a very uh, uncaring, out of, out of the mother's life, out of my, my sister's life. And so this, this was her family background. And so she wound up in our family, a, a loving family. A, both parents loved the Lord Jesus. She was raised in a Christian home. Just amazing stuff. Well, she found out by talking, she finally got together and met the aunt, her mom's sister, and her mom's sister, as soon as she found out who it was, so when they figured out who each other was on the phone, she broke down in tears and she said, Nancy, we have prayed for you our entire life. This was when my sister was 50, whatever, 53. And they hadn't heard of or seen or known anything about little Nancy since she was that little eight-month-old girl or whatever she was when she went to my mom's house. They never saw her again. They thought they would never see her again. And they said, we have prayed for you our entire, your entire life. <sighs> Breakthrough? Breakthrough? You want to wait a lifetime before you hear the answer to something that is so profound in your life? Something that seems so mysterious right now today? Something that you think you'll never understand? Our prayers should provide some kind of breakthrough, and that's what God loves to do. Here's a second thing about prayers. Our prayers should produce an increase and abundance of love. Verse 12, um, I love this. May May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. That's Paul's praying this prayer, and he says, this is what I hope you'll do. I hope your love will abound more and more for each other, and I like this, for each other and everyone else. (laughs) Who's that? 
for each other and for everyone else. Well, I think that's a picture of Paul saying for those in the body of Christ and those outside the body of Christ. We need to be known for our love. This is the one thing that changes lives. If you've got people you want to reach for Christ, the best thing you can do is love them. Demonstrate love to them. Love builds bridges. Love opens doors. It opens hearts. The church in general isn't always known for its love. But transformational churches are. They love those on the inside and those on the outside. We don't fold our arms and say, oh, look, those people on the outside are coming in. We say, praise God they're coming in. And we should have guests every week that are brand new in this place because those of us who know Christ are loving people outside the walls of this church and we're inviting them to come and experience the beautiful, beautiful body of Christ. And then lastly, our prayer should produce the kind of lives that God will honor even at the judgment. Verse 13, may, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now we're going to get to it in a couple of weeks, but we're going to look at how the, the return of Christ is one of the greatest motivating forces in a Christian's life. We'll see that in chapter 4, verses 18 and follow, 13 and following. We're going to take a whole Sunday and talk about the glorious return of Jesus Christ. And here Paul's saying, that's what prayers ought to do. Prayers ought to equip us so that in the day of judgment we stand in confidence knowing that our faith was in Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again from the grave to give us eternal life. And my friends, this morning, if you don't know him, if he is not center in your life, no matter what burden you're carrying, no matter what heartache you have this morning, whatever loss you've experienced, or whatever gain you think is going to take you through life, see Jesus Christ this morning as the only one to whom you can come to and find not only the forgiveness of sins, but eternal life to be with him forever and ever and ever. Praying churches, transformational churches, are churches whose members pray as they should. Let's do that right now. Lord, thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your word. Every week we are stretched and challenged and moved and encouraged, I trust, Lord, and pray that today all of our lives will have sensed, Lord, that your presence has made the difference here. And Lord, you, you see our hearts. You know the things we're carrying right now today. And we just call out and ask God that you would help us to lift those things to you. And that we would be known as a church, Lord, that truly believes in this beautiful gift and resource called prayer. That we can come asking, we can come trusting, we can come believing Thank you for those that work in our prayer room. Thank you for those that have gifts of intercession. Thank you, dear Lord, that we have a, a place where we can turn to our brothers and sisters even before we leave this building and say, pray for me. Thank you, Lord, for the many times I know this church prays for me and for my family, how I feel it, how I know it's true, Lord. And I give you praise. And I pray, Lord, for each of us that we would feel supported that, that way and that we would not leave this place today without knowing that support. And just before I finish my prayer this morning, just a quick invitation for anyone that needs to know Christ. Whatever the Lord brought you for this morning, maybe you came with a friend, a family member, maybe today 
you carry a burden and you said, I'm just, I gotta go to church, I've gotta figure this out, and God wonderfully has shown you that he loves you with an everlasting love, yet your sin has made a separation between you and him. He's paid the price for that sin when his son Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the grave. And right here today, he invites you to believe on him and be saved. And if that's you, anyone here this morning, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know I need you in my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me and come into my life and change my life. I ask, Lord, that you will help me live for you for the rest of my life. Just before I finish my prayer this morning, with an upraised hand, is there anyone here in this ground floor this morning that is praying that prayer? You're asking Jesus to be Lord of your life this morning. Is there anybody? I see those hands, yes. Yes, sir, I see that hand right over here on the right. Yes, up all the way up the aisle. Yes, yes. Up in the back, yes. Over there on the side, amen. I see your hand. Thank you, Lord. Anyone in the balcony area this morning? Yes, ma'am, I see your hand up there in the middle. Yes, in the back. Wow, thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, you see the hands, you know the hearts. Thank you, Jesus, that when we come to know you, Lord, you stay with us and in us forever, Lord. And so may we walk in that confidence this morning. And I pray, O oh God, that you might take us from this place to be men and women that believe in the power of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.